0: The following message is from LifeSource Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about LifeSource is available at lifesource.org.au. Have you got your Bibles? Would you open up to John chapter 6? We're going to continue the series that I started in August. So the series that I started is called There's a Miracle for Your House. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say there's a miracle for your house. I really believe that God is a God of miracles and there's a miracle for your house. Every single one of us has a need. Every single one of us is praying for something and we just believe in a God of miracles he's the same yesterday today and forever and uh, and this is a lead up to two incredible Sundays for us it's next Sunday with Pastor Tim Hall and uh, as far as I'm concerned Tim Hall is one of Australia's greatest evangelists so um, when he goes to the Pacific Islands especially he gets crowds of uh, 10, 20, 30, 40,000 people. Uh, Vanuatu just been there recently, and it's the biggest crowds that they've ever had in the history of the nation. And they've seen signs, wonders, miracles, amazing. Right now, he's in the Philippines, and uh, uh, amazing things are happening in the Philippines there are incredible miracles happening right now so next sunday he's going to be with us and i really believe miracles are going to happen in our church so you will not want to miss it I, as far as i'm concerned tim hall is one of the one of the funniest communicators that i know he is an incredible communicator very funny man but very powerful so that's october then november we've got john Mellor coming and john is one of the greatest healing evangelists in australia has appeared on current affair and and the skeptics got healed i love that you can actually google john mellow on current affair and the interviewer got healed and it was just you know lost for words that here I was trying to take it from this angle, but now I've been healed. I've got to take it from the other angle and believe in miracles. So just Google John Miller and you will see miracle after miracle after miracle. He's going to be with us first Sunday of November. You don't want to miss that. And again, for both Tim Hall and John Miller, we're adding a five o'clock service just so that people from other churches and other places can come and just be blessed. No, no strings attached, but just for us to be a blessing. Okay, so Miracles. I believe in miracles. I was brought up in miracles. You know, when I was a kid growing up, our family would talk about miracles. And it was just, my my grandmother got healed uh, from uh, a sickness that was actually leading to her death. She was on her deathbed. And um, in the middle of the night, she had a vision of Jesus coming to her, touching her. And when she woke up in the morning, she was 100% healed. And nobody had an explanation for it because they were all expecting her to die. But she got healed. So, so that was such an impressionable thing in my family that for the rest of my life, I was brought up with this very strong belief in miracles and I still believe in miracles and when you open up the bible how can you not see miracles on just about every single page of the bible problem is today that we've reasoned away miracles and we've replaced miracles with science and we've placed miracles with medicine now let me just say here I believe in science I also believe in in medicine but you know what it doesn't have to be either or it can be both and what an amazing thing it is to have both ends so so it's not that medicine and science replaces god there's a god factor in everything and that's what this whole series is about come on let's get back to believing for miracles because if you don't believe in them you won't see them but if you start believing in them Then it'll start opening up some miracles. How many of you need a miracle? Is there anybody here besides me that needs a miracle? If you need a miracle, lift up your hand give me a big wave. That's all of you. Awesome. I love that. Okay, John chapter 6. We're going to do the fourth part in this series, which is a very famous miracle. It's the feeding of 5,000. How many times have you read this story in the Bible? I've been reading it since I was a little kid in Sunday school, and I'm 58 years of age now. So I've read it hundreds and hundreds of times. But you know the amazing thing about the Bible? Is that there's always something fresh that comes out of this. So let's see what freshness can come out of this. Let's read it together. John chapter 6. I'm reading from the New King James. It says this. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed. How many of you think it's just wonderful that I still don't have to wear glasses because my arms are long enough? It's when my arms get too short that I'll wear glasses. But at the moment, I can sort of hold it out here and still read. How good is that? <laughs> okay, moving on. Enough of that nonsense. Just pay attention. Okay, verse 2. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. See, when you see miracles, it gets people's attention. I'm sad for churches that don't believe in miracles. Because the whole thing becomes incredibly boring without the supernatural. We're a church that believes in the supernatural. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. Verse 3. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that they may eat? Can I just press pause there for a second? I just love the fact that Jesus knew their need before they even articulated their need. Nobody had said to Jesus, we're hungry, but Jesus saw their need. Isn't, isn't that so valid for you today? That even before you pray, even before you ask, God knows your situation. God knows your address. He knows where you live. And he knows exactly what you're facing right now and is already thinking about you. I love this. He's already thinking about you before you even ask the question. I love that about the heart of God. Okay. Um, But he said, but this he said to test him. Everybody say, test him. Because that's going to be a major theme of this morning's message. For he himself knew what he would do. Isn't that amazing? God knew what he was going to do, but he wanted to test the disciples. Verse 7, Then Philip answered and he said, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down now there was much grass in the place so the men sat down in number about five thousand just want you to notice this that the only people that were counted that day were the men so how many of you know that that's all that was counted so there were also women and children we know that because the child brought his lunch and so if you then speculate how many people would have been there? If there, was only if, if there were 5,000 men, there would have been a minimum of 20,000 people there. Just saying but with men, there's probably that many women and then a whole bunch of children as well. So there'd be at least five to 20,000 people. How many of you know that's a big crowd? That's a big crowd. So you can understand why Philip was panicking. So how are we going to feed these people? How are we going to feed these people? Make them sit down. Then Jesus took the loaves... When he had given thanks, he he distributed them to the disciples. I love the fact that he didn't distribute them to the people. He distributed them to the disciples first. And the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish. As much as they wanted. As much. Not a little crumb for everybody. Just... uh, can I have more sir? Oh. Just a crumb. As much as they wanted. I love that. Anyway, let's move on from there. And, uh, and verse 12 says, so when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. How many of you love that about Jesus? How many of you got parents like that? Uh, don't. Throw that away. That's tomorrow's dinner. Okay. I love that. That's uh, very much my mum and dad. Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Okay. This morning, I've entitled my message, The Miracle of Provision. What I'm trying to do here today is do two things. Number one, to talk to you about the tests that lead up to the miracle. And number two, the revelation that comes your way through the miracle. So let's talk about the tests, because what's really clear about this passage of Scripture is that everything that was done here was to test the disciples, to test that verse six says, but he said, but this he said to test him, but this he said to test him. Can I just say right now, right from the beginning is this, is that the process of time that you're in right now between you realizing your need and the fulfillment of that need with the miracle is a test. And every single one of us right now are facing our own test from God. There's a test. Right now, there's not one person in this room that's not facing a test. What we don't realize is that life is a test. Everything about this life is a test. It's a test for eternity. A lot of people don't understand that every encounter that we're having right now is a preparation for eternity. There's a test for eternity. Our eternal our eternal rewards and eternity will be based on how we go through this life. And the tests that we're confronted with. See, right now, your test is whether you're going to panic or trust God. There's there's a test right now for your life. And so, this is what God tests. So, So, every single test not only talks to God, but talks to you. Every single test not only gives a report back to the tester, but also gives a report back to the testee. And so every test, this is what happens, you find out where you're at. How many of you know that if, if you're an optimist, you actually feel further ahead than where you're at? If, if, if you're on the opposite side of the scale, you always feel further behind that where you're at. And what a test does, it actually reveals exactly where you're at. Second thing a test does, it actually reveals the gap. What's the gap? The gap between where you're at and where you need to be. Because we all need to be somewhere. And there's a gap between where we're at and where we need to be. And so what the test does, it reveals the gap. So when it comes to Philip, you know, what God wanted to test was his faith. Come on, Philip. I want you to have faith. Faith in me. You've seen me provide. You've seen miracles. You've seen the supernatural. So how are we going to do this? And Philip just automatically revolges to the natural and just kind of just leaves out the supernatural, just leaves it out. And, uh, and so, I mean, Jesus was testing this. So, so how are we going to get food for this? How are we going to get food for these people? And the immediate response, and with most of us, our immediate response was, we need food, we've got to go buy it. Isn't that right? Yeah. How else is it going to come? Come on, every single bloke can say, that's logical. Uh, That's the only answer. And so Philip's doing his calculations. And he's thinking, mate, if we have to buy bread for all these people, 200 denarii is not enough. Now, most of you have got no idea how much 200 denarii is worth. So let me share with you what a denarii is. A denarii is the day's wages for a skilled laborer. So in those days, if you were a skilled laborer and you worked for a day... You'd get a denarii. So let's work it out, say, in today's language, just just rough figure. If a skilled laborer earns fifty thousand dollars a year, then two hundred dollars would be a day's pay. Am I right at that? Thousand dollars divided by five is two hundred dollars. So what's two hundred times two hundred? Forty thousand dollars. So here's Philip saying, "Mate, I've looked in the treasury box, and we just don't have forty grand sitting around just to do a, a, a supper for these people." And it was like, "It's what's going on here? I don't have the wherewithal for this." And one of the things that Jesus was testing was, "Are you going to go just immediately to the natural, or are you going to go to the supernatural? Natural." or supernatural, natural is all about science, it's all about logic, it's all about me working it out in my strength, come on, how many of you have ever encountered a need where you've already done the maths, and the maths says, bom, bom, it's, gonna, it's not going to work, bom, bom, you don't have the wherewithal, bom, bom, you haven't got enough, and so, and so then what happens is this, Another disciple comes along and says, we don't have 40 grand, but what we do have is five loaves and two fish. (laughs) And there's 20,000 people out there, or at least 5,000 men, and we got five loaves and two fish. And, and, And this is, again, he's the natural response. But what are they among so many? And immediately what happened was this. Is that they despised what they had. And I reckon that this is, just, this is just the way that life works. We always underestimate the value of what we have. And we underestimate the value of what we need. We just do that in life. We look at what we've got and we go, bum, bum, not enough. And we look at our need and say, this is just gigantic. It's way beyond, way beyond way beyond our reach and can i just say right now maybe some of you are facing your need and and god's saying but well, what have you got and you say well i've got no- nothing near what i need to see this need met and all of a sudden you lose your faith because you're just doing it in the natural rather than the supernatural and so what happens is this, is that there's lessons to learn here. And what are the lessons? The lessons is this, just give God what you've got and don't undervalue it. Don't devalue the, 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 the what you've got. Because what you've got is the beginning of a miracle. It's not the end of the miracle. Because what we're trying to do is put the value on, well, what I've got, will it create an end to the miracle? And more often than not, the answer is no. It's nowhere near enough, but it's the start. But what happens with so many of us is that we're not willing to value the start because it's not enough for the finish. And God says, forget about the finish. Don't worry, that's my business, the finish. We've got to get this thing started. So what have you got? Do you know, everything in my life has started with me devaluing what I've had. And I look at what I've got and I think, this is just ridiculous. Ridiculous. I remember when we when we first came to our church 21 years ago, and God gave us a vision of this building and multi million dollar facility that we have. And what did we have? We had just a few dollars in the bank. That's all we had, a few dollars in the bank. We had we had Gustav and and Lubosh with their hands lifted up, saying we're willing to work. And and you know, and I'm looking at the few dollars that we had in the bank, and I'm looking at Gustav and, and Lou Bosch, and, and they were incredibly valuable people, but I'm looking at the need, and it was like, I ain't going to cut it, because two guys ain't going to cut it, and the few dollars that we had, but you know what, all of a sudden, I started to see, it's not the end of the miracle, it's the beginning of the miracle, and so we started with faith, we said, yeah, come on, we can do this, we can rise up, we can build, and all of a sudden, the resources started to come left, right, and center. And now I'm looking uh, all these years back and the building is fully paid for. We've got one of the most phenomenal facilities on the North Shore. And we can look back now and say, what a miracle we're going to be dedicating uh, in a few moments the refurbishments downstairs and upstairs. But it started by just that five loaves and two fish and not despising the smallness of the beginning. The smallness. You know, when I started ministry... I was an 18-year-old kid, 18-year-old kid that had just learned to shave. And even then, I still cut myself. It was just, you know, what, 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 what did an 18-year-old kid know? And all, all that an 18-year-old kid knew was, God, I'm available. I, I, my resources are small. They're limited. But what I give to you, I had no concept when I was 18 years of age that God one day would cause us to create a church that would send out nearly 50 missionaries out of this place all over the world and sing 20,000 churches planted and millions of dollars. I was an 18-year-old kid. All an 18-year-old kid knew was just, God, here am I, use me. And it was the beginning of a miracle. And you know what? The miracle still hasn't finished. It's still going on and on. All that I'm saying to you is this, do not despise the beginning of your miracle. Do not despise the smallness. Do not despise the cloud, the size of a man's hand. Don't despise that because every miracle begins with something. I love the story in 2 Kings chapter 4 where, where the widow, she's, she's at a point, she's lost her husband. The, 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 the debtors are about to take her kids and sell them into slavery. She goes to Elisha and says, Elisha, will you help me? And Elisha says, what have you got in your house? 2 Kings chapter 4, you can read it. And this is her response. I have nothing but a jar of oil. So she, she looked at what she had And so despised it, she called it a nothing. And Elisha said, well, get your nothing because that's the beginning of your miracle. Go find some vessels, borrow them from your neighbors. And we see the miracle of the jar of oil that kept pouring out and pouring out and pouring out until it became a miracle and fulfilled her need. But she started off with despising the smallness of what she had. What is this? Among so many is what Andrew said. What is this among so many? Boy, 200 denarii wouldn't do that. These are the tests. You're facing a test right now. God says, give me something to work with. What have you got? I I know that what you've got is not enough for the miracle, but let's start with something. What have you got? What can you bring to the throne of grace? What can you bring to the presence of God? What have you got that is the beginning of a miracle? That's your test right now. Let's talk about the revelation because this miracle is all about the revelation that God wants us to have. And every, every one of the miracles in John has a bottom line. And the bottom line in this miracle is the revelation that God, here it is, is a God of provision. I love that. God is the God of provision. One of the covenant names of God. How many of you know that there are many covenant names of God? And a covenant is a promise that cannot be broken. And so one of the covenant names of God is Jehovah-Jireh. This is found in Genesis chapter 22, verse 14. And it's the, it's the story of Abraham about to, to, um, to, to sacrifice Isaac. And Isaac is saying, Lord, you know, Daddy, we've got the firewood. We've got the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And he's, he's Abraham saying, God's going to provide. Had no idea where God was going to provide from. But just, my faith is that God's going to provide. Come on, are you at a place where you can say, I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know where the miracle is coming from. I just know that I'm doing my bit and God's going to do the rest. God's going to break through into my situation. I can't see it at the moment. I don't know where it's coming from. Nobody could have predicted that Jesus would have taken the five loaves and two fish and just multiplied them. There was no prediction. None of the disciples knew the way that he was going to do it. And you know what? You don't have to know the way that he's going to do it. The only thing you're going to know that you need to know is that God's going to do it. That's all you need to know. Not how, but he is. Because he's the God of provision. And so, and so all of a sudden, you know, the angel stopped Abraham from sacrificing Isaac. And then they could hear the bleating of a ram whose horns was caught in a thicket. And then, and then he says, hey, Isaac, we've got the sacrifice. Here it is, the ram. And there he gets the revelation, Jehovah Jireh, my God who is my provider. My God who is my provider. Oh, he's going to test you. He's going to test you, but don't give up in the middle of your test. Don't abandon your faith in the middle of the test. Why is that? Because his covenant name is, I will provide for you. Come on, stop panicking. Some of you right now, you've come to church and he's the word of the Lord for you. Stop panicking and begin to trust That God's going to make a way where there is no way. That God's going to make an opening where there is no opening. That God's going to provide where you can't see it. That God's going to do a miracle in your situation. Why? Because the revelation of this parable is, my God is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Come on, if you're ever going to clap, now's a great time to clap. (laughs) My God, he is a provider. Our introduction to the character of God in the Bible is the provision of God. When you open up the book of Genesis, what do you see? God created Adam and the first thing he does to him is says, Adam, let me give you a garden. Oh, we're not talking about a little quarter acre block garden. We're not talking about a little rooftop uh, green space in the middle of a city. We're talking about a garden full of every type of tree that you can imagine with every provision of fruit that you can imagine. This is Genesis 2.15. God provides Adam. And so he, he's one of the first revelations of God. He creates us and then he provides for us. Hello? Hello? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't just bring you in a situation and walk away. He's the provider. He provides for you. Then what we see is this, is that that God looked at Adam and he said, you know what? I want to provide much more than just your food. I want to provide a helpmate for you. Oh, I love this part. I love this part. He's God saying, "I, I see every single need because he's Adam giving, you know, naming all the animals and did not find a partner suitable for him. And God says, I got this. I got this. I got this. I'm going to put you to sleep and take a rib. Then you wake up and you will have the most spectacular partner that was specifically designed for you. And with this partner, you're going to live happily ever after. And with this partner, you will be able to multiply. And create children. And right here we have the definition of marriage. According to God. Where God creates a partner that was suitable. It was his helpmate. It was not the same as him. But it was the completeness of him. And with that partner. They were able to multiply. And fulfill God's mandate. Of fulfilling the planet. See God provided Eve. Beautiful Eve. Eve. For Adam and 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 here we have the provision of God not only in food but also in His requirements for moving forward. Then then we know the story in Acts, in Genesis chapter three where they fell. They sinned. They disobeyed God. They ate of the tree. That just just think about this: the nature of man. Okay, every tree, every fruit, just 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 orchards and orchards and orchards of fruit. Just by the way, there's just one tree, just one. Just stay away from you. just that one, okay? So you can have everything else, but not that one. And what happens to the nature of man? It's like bzzz. <laughs> that one. They they wouldn't have tried all the others. I guarantee you they wouldn't have tried all the others yet, huh? I, how many of you think they would have gone straight to the durian tree? Huh? <laughs> How many, of you, how many of you would have gone straight to the durian tree? How many of you would have stayed away from the durian tree? I would have gone to, believe it or not, I love durian. Come on. I'm half Italian, half Asian. What can I say, you know? But my wife does not like durian. She can't get past the smell. I can handle the smell. I, it, just the, the, the sweetness that they reckon this is the fruit that smells like hell but tastes like heaven. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, I didn't make that one up. That's, that's Someone said that to me. But, but now they ignore the durian tree. They, they ignore the mango tree. How many of you are more uh, lovers of mangoes, right? Yeah. here we go. Anne's cheering me on. Mangoes. <laughs> but they went for the tree of knowledge of good and evil and um and so, what happened was that sin entered the world; they got punished and they and they and they realized that they were naked, and they felt ashamed. they made fig leaves covering themselves. But in chapter three, we see the provision of God in chapter three, verse twelve, where God provided a covering for their sin. Oh, don't you love this about the provision of God? He could have been offended. How many of you would have been offended, but he he looked beyond the offence and he said, "My name is Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Let me cover you. Let me provide a covering for you." Verse twelve, verse twelve of Genesis three, and uh, and God provided a covering for their sin and their shame. And that's the introduction we get in Genesis two and three regarding the character of God, a God of provision. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Matter of fact, Jesus affirms this whole revelation of provision in, in in Matthew chapter six, verse thirty-three, where he says, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you." He's a God of provision. He's a God that's able to provide for everything. The things that you desire, God sees, and God says. Just get the priorities right. Put me first and all these things will be added. Just don't get it the wrong way around. You keep the things out of your heart and God will keep them in your pocket. You've just got to get them out of your heart because God just wants one thing in your heart and that's him. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And when you've got that right, he will automatically begin to provide. It's just a provision of God. In the year 2000, Sandra Brain uh, was employed as uh, our church administrator and uh, my personal assistant. And one of the first things that I said to Sandra was, your job, your job responsibility, there's just one thing that you need to do, keep me out of jail, that's all. So she's been very successful. 17 years she's been working for me. and Never once had police been knocking at my door. But the other thing that I said to her, I said, Sandra, as the church administrator you have front row seat to miracles what you will see is that this church doesn't belong to me it belongs to God and God will provide front row seat to And even just this past week, she said, Well, I've just seen another miracle. Why is that? We just built this extension and thinking that we needed to borrow money. But, you know, God just provided. It's like there's the provision. She says, I just, I don't understand it. I've just seen another miracle. We're sitting there on the front row seat to the miracles. Why is that? Because God is a God who provides. He's a God of provision. And so, yeah, we'll we'll talk to you about what you can give. But at the end of the day... What we are going to do in God is not dependent on your giving. It's dependent upon God finishing what he started. Come on. Come on. Come on. And every pastor needs to get that into their spirit. They need to get that into their spirit so they're not just, you know, week in and week out driving the people. Driving the people because just if you don't give, then the miracle doesn't happen. No, you're the beginning of the miracle, not the end of the miracle god is the end of the miracle god you're the beginning but god is the end and that's where our focus and our trust needs to be that in all things god start we started but god finishes it give me the five loaves and two if that's what you've got yeah well don't despise what you've got and god will provide the rest but you know what i love and oh, i've got to finish and there's so many other revelations that we can give not just the god of provision You know, But I need to finish on provision. Here's some of the other revelation. God takes the small and makes the small great. Just five loaves, which was a boy's meal. But what was great was that a boy's meal was able to feed 20,000 people. He takes the small and makes it great. Here's another revelation. There's no problem too big for God to handle. Come on, can everybody say that? There's no problem too big for God to handle. For the disciples, it was just monumental. Huge, beyond huge. It's just... ah! there's no problem too big for god no problem you think your problem is big you think he's the creator of the universe he thinks that's not big there's no problem too big for god here's another revelation never hold back from giving to god because you think that what you have is too small Here's another revelation. God loves using us to bring a miracle. I love the fact that he didn't leave the disciples out. This was all Jesus, folks. The disciples were tested. They didn't do too well. But you know what? Rather than sidelining them, he brings them right into the middle of the miracle. And he says, you know what? I don't want to give the food to the people. I want to give it to you to give it to the people so you can be involved in the miracle. What did you do? Not much, but I'll, I'll actually bring you in. So that you can go around saying, "Look what we did. Look what we did." Because at the end of the day, that's what God loves. He says, "Look what we did. I know that it's all about what God did, what God did, what God did, what God did. I know it's all about what God did, but somehow he loves bringing us into the picture. It's like that's family right there. It's like the little kid that says, "Dad, can I help you make the fence?" Can you just carry my hammer. And the kid carries the hammer. And then Dad does it all. But at the end of the day, look what we did. Look what we did. I love that. Oh, okay. Let me finish with provision because there's there's another five sermons just in that. But you know what? That's the word of God. It's so deep and so wide and so profound. There's so much more truth in it. But let me finish with the fact that they gathered twelve baskets. Twelve baskets. You can come up, Tim. I did some research on a basket. Of those days. And basically, those baskets were probably about twenty-two liters. How many of you have got a bin that's about twenty-two liters? So it's a a bin twenty-two liters is about that big, that wide. There were twelve baskets of leftovers. Twelve baskets of leftovers. After everybody ate to their fill. That was that was the word, not a little crumb for everybody, but just eat as much as you want. And you know what that says about God? It says his provision is above and beyond. He's not just the God of just enough. He's the God of more than enough. One of the covenant names of God, one of the revelations of God in Genesis 17, verse 1 is his name is El Shaddai. El Shaddai. You know, the, the literal translation of El Shaddai is the many breasted one. Believe it or not. That's the literal interpretation. But literally for us, the interpretation is the God of more than enough. More than enough. More than enough. See, when God does a miracle, it's not just enough. It's more than enough. More than enough. And I love this about God. Twelve baskets left over. Everybody had plenty to fill. There was was enough for the next day and the following day. It was huge. And you know what? Why twelve? Because every single one of the disciples needed the revelation of more than enough. And so he's every single one of the disciples saying, we started with five loaves and two fish. Look what I got left over. Every single one of them got front row seat to the God of more than enough. Front row seat to the God of more than enough. That's what you need today. You need a front row seat to the God of more than enough. The God that is not able to give you a little bit of salvation, but a more than enough salvation. Not just a little bit of blessing, but a more than enough blessing. Just this abundance. Why is that? Because that's the God that He is. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within you. Come on, he's exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you ask or think, God. this God of abundance. this God of more than enough. You say, but John, I'm not seeing the more than enough. Well, you're in your test. Don't give up while you're in the middle of your test. You hang on you're able to say in the middle of your test, my God is able. My God is able. But I haven't seen it yet. That's right. You haven't seen it yet, but it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. But when's it going to happen, John? When God kind of feels that your test is over. But I hate being in a test. Who enjoys being in the middle of a test? a test how many of you look for HSC's coming up how many of you can't wait to get this Woo! excited about it most people when they're facing a test sort of can't wait for this to be over that's what I'm waiting for but see but the over for you is when you see the provision of God Anne and I have got tests that we're going through right now we've had tests that we've been sitting through now for decades he said but John haven't you given up no give up no I've gone to my dictionary and just crossed out that word don't believe in give up why is that because God is still alive he's not dead God is able see my test is about my faith and Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says without faith it's impossible to please God so how do you know that you've got faith everybody's got faith when everything's going well yeah, man. When man, when the fig tree blossoms and there's fruit on the vine and the storehouse is filled with all that you need, anybody can be happy. But what about when the fig tree does not blossom? There is no fruit on the vine. The storehouse is empty. What happens then? Are you able to say, yet will I rejoice in the Lord? Because He is the one who started this. He is the one who will finish it. He is the one who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. He is the great provider. He is El Shaddai. He is the one who started it. He's the one who'll finish it. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the first. He's the last. He's the king. He's the glory. He's the lifter of my head. He is the mighty one. And in him, I will trust. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.